Hello, welcome to the Reedy Centralization interviews. And today I've got Paul Gardner Stephen from the Servel project with me, which is about uh, mesh networking of phone calls. Yeah. Hello, Paul. Good morning. Uh, so, could you tell us a little bit about the Servel project, where you got the idea from it, and how it all like got going? Sure. So, really, it was the uh, after the Haiti earthquake that uh, that uh, triggered me to to do something. And I, I still remember sitting in the car driving to work and hearing about the um, uh, the earthquake and uh, you know human coping factors being what they are. Sort of, I, I knew that uh, the loss of communications or even just the impairment of communications in Haiti would be a, a real problem uh, for that already strained uh, community there. And so, you know, in, in my mind, I was kind of thinking like, oh, you know. The, They'll be able to, you know, to, to bring in by air and get communications gear in and get everything back up and running and, you know, and avoid sort of you know, the descent into lawlessness. Um, and while I'm thinking this happily to myself, the person on the radio says, "Oh, and the uh, the airport has been uh, almost destroyed. There's one runway which is still actually open. You know, one plane in or out every half an hour." Uh, and so I'm kind of thinking, like, mm. "Hmm, okay, so uh, uh, so that coping mechanism is not going to work." Uh, so then I thought, well, okay, there's a highway that goes from the Dominican Republic uh, into Haiti. Uh, they'll be able to truck gear in a little bit slower, mm. uh, but they'll be able to still get it there in that critical you know, uh, one to three day time frame to, um, uh, to maintain uh, law and order uh, and, uh, and, and really help people. So while I'm thinking this to myself, the person on the radio says, and practically every road in Haiti has been destroyed uh, by the earthquake. Wow. Uh, and so then I'm kind of thinking, mm, okay, so there's a harbour in uh, the Dominican Republic. They can load up a container ship, a couple of days cruising around into uh, uh, Port-au-Prince Harbour, uh, and you know it'll be really, you know, it'll be stretching the uh, the timeline a little bit. Uh, but you know they'll be able to get piles of gear and uh, and really make a you know, a big impact to start getting the place back together. And while I was thinking that, the person on the radio said, and the harbour in Port-au-Prince has collapsed. Uh, and I just remember the real emotional rawness of that, and realizing mm. that things were going to go very badly for the uh, the Haitian people. And uh, unfortunately, uh, as history shows, that was indeed the case. And uh, you know, I remember hearing from uh, doctors working in the area about militia roadblocks and uh, rape gangs, and just all sorts of really nasty uh, stuff that was going on. And so I just came to this position that it, you know, this should never happen again. That you know, whenever a disaster happens. Uh, people shouldn't be deprived of communications in a way that uh, lets things descend uh, in this kind of way, and it really it led me on sort of a you know um, a journey over the next couple of months until I realised that the mobile phones that people carry actually were mm. the solution. That they already had them, they were already in the disaster zone. They had battery backup. They uh, they just needed to be able to be programmed to talk to one another, and really by historical accident uh, that hadn't happened. And so that's uh, what we set about doing. So you kind of realise that resilience of our world, of our civilization, just isn't that great. Um, but yeah, and, and, and I guess really there hasn't been the commercial imperative uh, to do it because we've been able to make such fantastic uh, centralised, large enterprise systems. And really, I mean, it's mm. uh, when you look at, look at history, uh, particularly the second half of the 20th century, I think will stand out um, as a, an aberration where. Centralized was by far the most efficient way to do things. I mean, you look at 3D printing now, and suddenly manufacturing is starting to move back away from uh, big is best. And it will be mm. interesting in 50 years' time to see that shift. So, what does it do? How does the server project work? Um, uh, so, uh, basically, you load a, an app on at the moment onto an Android phone, uh, and it allows the phones to talk directly to one another. 
uh, and uh, we, we put a lot of thought into making it being really easy to use so that all you need to tell our software is your phone number uh, and your name if you want people to be able to see your name on the network uh, and then you, know, you use our app and you can dial, you can send text messages, you can share files, you can really kind of do all of those things that you expect a mobile phone to do uh, but in the kind of places where only normally a CB radio uh, would work. So really it's, a, it's that fusion of uh, smartphone and CB radio for the 21st century. So, so there's no base station or anything like that. It just works directly between the phones. That's right. So in, a, in its simplest and most ideal uh, arrangement, uh, that's how it works. Unfortunately, uh, to get the full function out of the phones, uh, to talk directly to one another, uh, you need to, uh, to root the Android phones. Um, and of course, you know, we know that that's actually not that viable an option for, uh, uh, for most people. Uh, and so we've been working on what we call a, a mesh extender, which is basically a, uh, a little battery-powered uh, pocket uh, wireless router uh, with an extra long-distance radio in it, uh, so that instead of just Wi-Fi range, we can get, uh, you know, in an urban area, you, you might get a quarter of a mile uh, through buildings, and in open country, you might get, uh, you know, uh, potentially a few miles uh, between uh, units. And the idea is that, you know, that people will get mm -hmm. these things hopefully before a disaster strikes, but even if they can't, they're small and cheap enough that you could overfly an area uh, and, you know, and, and drop these into people. So, so without that extender, what kind of range can the phones communicate to each other? This is with Wi-Fi, is it, they, they're talking? That's right. So, yeah, so it, it's, uh, you know, the, the usual Wi-Fi kind of range. So, you know, indoors is going to be, you know, um, you know 10 to 50 metres. Outdoors is going to be sort of, you know, 30 to uh, 150 metres is what we find with mobile phones typically. Uh, so 150 metres? Yeah, that, that, that's the upper limit that we see with the uh, mobile phone Wi-Fi. Yeah. And this, uh, it uses this thing called mesh networking as well, does it, or, or not, to route things via other people's phones, or is that...? Exactly, that, that is precisely what it does. So, uh, you know, if, if I wanted to ring you and there was a couple of phones in between, uh, the call would potentially be routing through those phones, and the people with those phones in between uh, don't have to think about that, they don't have to do anything special. If the mesh software mm. is running on their phone uh, so that they can receive a phone call, then it will actually, uh, you know, uh, relay calls for other people as well. Okay. So just to go back to the Heishi situation, like how would the extra communication of, of that kind of system being available to people, how would that have helped them? Like, how does it kind of loop... Uh, so, I, 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 yeah, I think a really important thing is that it enables local communities to stay in contact uh, and ultimately to defend themselves. I mean, if you think about the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the terrible example of the, uh, the rape gangs that were going around, if mm. local communities could alert one another and say, hey, there are these guys going around doing this, well, for a start, you can bet that, you know, uh, every uh, wife, daughter, and granddaughter would be uh, safely uh, inside uh, when they came by. Uh, but you can also bet then that you know you would have uh, the local community would be organising to defend themselves against these groups and say, hey, like you know you, you know get out of here, you know you're not doing this, um, or you know citizen arrest, or you know there's a variety of options. In fact, I would even argue that uh, a lot of these sorts of things probably wouldn't start to begin with because people would know that the local community uh, could organise to defend themselves. And the same with the uh, you know militia roadblocks. If everyone can tell everyone else uh, where the roadblock is. You know, you can avoid it, um, and so you know, there's those sort of uh, you know civil defence things, and then beyond that, you have just the ability for people to say, hey, you know, I've got water, I've got food, or I need food and water, um, or you know, immediately mm. after a, an earthquake, you kind of go, okay, like I'll 
get in contact with my family and friends who live nearby, okay, they're safe. Cool. I now know that I don't have to go and find them. I can go and help other people uh, to get rescued. And so really it's a, uh, uh, it's a massive enabler uh, for recovery. So it's a few years old now, the, the project, isn't it? Um, yeah, so, there, yeah. Yeah. Has has it been used in in any like real situations or any interesting like stories about people making use of it? Uh, so the the one uh, real deployment that we had was actually in Nigeria. Uh, there's uh, some communities living in uh, in waterfront uh, places along there that the government wanted to basically bulldoze and uh, and redevelop, uh, despite the fact that you know these people had lived there uh, all their life and uh, for multiple generations, and so they trialed a very early version of our software uh, and was really interesting. The, you know, despite the fact that uh, we didn't have mesh extenders at that time, so it really was limited to the Wi-Fi range, mm. uh, it turned out that the people there were able to communicate more often uh, and spend less on their communications uh, than they uh, were before they had the mesh technology. Uh, so, so that was uh, uh, really tremendous and there's a, uh, uh, a report from that uh, available on the internet. Uh, and there's actually there's a couple of videos that they made of their uh, you know protests against the uh, uh, the proposed forced eviction, uh, which was you know really kind of pleasing to see that you know the, our software had been used to help people to defend themselves and to uh, yeah. you know, to uh, to be safe and to be able to keep living where they'd lived for generations. Yeah. So that was literally because they didn't have the money to afford like full-on phone calls, or they weren't didn't have the connectivity, or. Uh, so yeah, so I think there was a, you know cost was a limitation because these are, are fairly poor communities, uh, which of course is you know part mm. of their vulnerability. And so uh, I believe there was mobile phone coverage uh, in a lot of the places, but uh, you know their ability to afford to use it, and you know particularly things you know to to make a video of an interview with uh, you know a resident and uh, get that to uh, to Amnesty International, who they were working with, um, was uh, a fairly expensive proposition. So suddenly they were able to you know film. And have it go onto the mesh and get replicated uh, and find its way back to mm. uh, to Amnesty and other partners that way. Mm. Yeah, this is quite exciting. I've, it's quite interesting because some of the other people we've interviewed so far, the subject of resilience hasn't really come up. But I think there uh, mm. the reasons people seem to want to decentralise things seem to be either to do with privacy or to do with resilience or they're to do with fun, just like bringing back like interesting yeah. sort of things to 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 the world. Mm. So how do you kind of think, as as we get better again at decentralizing things, and as maybe we create new ways of doing things based on on this, can you kind of describe the world and how it might look in the future? Uh, do you think it would be good? So I think fundamentally it will be a more just world. So when you look at the digital divide uh, and you know the tremendously effective uh, big infrastructure approach to mobile communications and internet, for example, means that um, you know, we're, by global standards, we're both rich white men, and we are extremely privileged. And you know, here we are talking between continents uh, without even you know, we don't have to think about whether we can afford mm. to do that or whether we can do it. And to see at least some of that capability start to bleed through into the the people actually who need it most, for whom it can, you know, enable subsistence farmers to contact local markets and you know and get better pricing for their food and to not have to. You know, walked two or three markets to get uh, fair pricing, and uh, you know, you get into that whole kind of interesting, you know, calorie budget problem for these guys. That you know, that simply means that they have more food on their table and more that they can sell. Uh, and so, really, from the, the ground up, we see it uh, helping uh, communities leverage. And actually, one of the, the interesting ironies is that it will help them get to the point where cellular, 
cellular service uh, becomes affordable for them and feasible uh, to provide. So we really see it as a, a great complementary uh, bootstrap for social and economic development, uh, as well as a fantastic and affordable insurance policy for uh, when things go wrong, as uh, you know, mm. it was seen in Haiti and even you know more recently in uh, in Japan with the earthquake there, and even uh, you know in New Zealand uh, with our partners with New Zealand Red Cross, you know, sort of following uh, Christchurch and even sort of you know the uh, the scare they had in Wellington uh, a week or two back. Uh, well, actually, they, they, they had two in a in a fortnight. They had a, uh, a a five point something earthquake that was very shallow and nearby, uh, and they also had what they called a uh, Antarctic weather bomb, uh, which is basically a, a what do they call it? An extra tropical cyclone. So basically, it's mm -hmm. a uh, it was a really intense uh, low pressure system that moved up uh, from Antarctica, uh, and they had you know 200 kilometer an hour winds uh, there uh, without actually being in the, uh, the tropical uh, cyclone or hurricane belt. So you know, there's a a whole variety of these things where I think uh, it will help, and, and nomadic communities where it's just never likely to be feasible to provide them with cellular coverage. So you know, Aboriginal people here in Australia, there are. Uh, you know, still uh, uh, nomadic tribes in the Arabian uh, uh, Peninsula, uh, you know, and you know, and throughout Africa and uh, in areas of Asia as well, where suddenly these people can use mobile phones like CB radios, but have the privacy, have the rich uh, functionality that uh, you know we've come to expect mm. out of modern technology. Mm. Yeah, it's quite interesting with these. So I'm quite interested in some of the other similar projects. Like there's a project called the Global Village Construction Set, where they're making a whole set yeah. of open hardware things. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and Martin there is uh, is fantastic with his his vision and his persistence and energy in uh, in doing that. Mm. And we certainly see that what we're creating, uh, you know, I think in the longer term will kind of be one of the pieces of that construction kit, um, or at least one of the options for uh, for communications. Uh, in that, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I mean, really, I mean, what he's designing is something that if we were to colonize another planet, um, you could actually, you know, set up a, a mm. civil society without having to, uh, you know, uh, to ship everything from, mm. you know, from uh, tractors to orange juice in, into the place. It's fascinating how that's both useful now in countries which are already not, you know, mm. not in a stable state, and it's also potentially useful if there was a, a disease or a, or a nuclear war or, or any of the kind of disasters that can affect all of us. So it's that's, kind of, That's right. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to step back out slightly to be more techy for a minute. Um, mm -hmm. The actual the the mesh networking part. So there's this part that via Wi-Fi that at most goes maybe 100 meters. It can route mm -hmm. your phone call via other people's phones. So if lots of people in one area had was running the, the software. Uh, on a routed Android phone, or you had enough range extenders, it would somehow route the calls like peer-to-peer -peer, and chain them. So, c how does that work exactly? That algorithm, and how far can it go? Like how flexible? Sure. How so, uh, we have two ways of doing it. One is for uh, real-time communication, so for, specifically for phone calls, in fact. Uh, and at the moment, it's not used for a great deal else, and that can go, you know, probably you know five or ten hops. Uh, oh, wow. And so then you start saying, you know, potentially it might be, you know, a few hundreds of meters upwards to, uh, you know, to, to approaching a kilometer or a mile or so. Uh, what we have is the other one, which is uh, we call rhizome, uh, is designed for when the network can't actually make a real-time link from end to end. Uh, and this is, uh, we really love the simplicity of it. Basically, a phone says to its neighbors, "Hey, I've got these things, which ultimately are files with a, uh, uh, if you like, a, a cryptographic envelope around them." Um, and so they go. They compare their lists, a bit like looking at trading cards, and they go, okay, like, hey, you've got that, I've got this. Uh, let's swap a copy of each, so we now have both. And then they start doing that to their neighbours, and so 
a file can find its way across uh, effectively a an unbounded uh, distance and an unbounded number of hops. So um, does it copy itself to every hop, or is there some way it knows like, yeah, which direction it, to go in? So, so at the moment it copies itself to every hop, uh, which of course has some scaling problems. Um, mm. But it's still it, it's amazing for a you know for a smaller community the effectiveness. And even if you want to get information out to everyone in the community, then suddenly it actually is uh, tremendously useful. But we also have a mechanism where once it's been delivered, then you actually propagate out a deletion message across the network, and so it deletes itself. Um, and you know we are looking at having, if you like, directed propagation and uh, and other things to improve the efficiency of it. Uh, but it, it, it turns out to be uh, you know, sort of amazing in the way it works because you have infinite retry on delivery as well. So if the network is chopped up into little pieces because everyone's too far away or there's too much interference, um, or maybe you're in a uh, an area of unrest and you know the uh, the local militia are trying to jam uh, all the frequencies available, uh, the instant that that impediment to connectivity uh, stops, suddenly the data actually uh, starts getting delivered again uh, and and quite quickly. And so. Um, you know, the, the most fun uh, test we did of this uh, soon after we made it was that we actually sent a text message from uh, Macaulaysburg in South Africa uh, back to the lab here in Adelaide, uh, where the means of transport was uh, uh, actually by carrying the phone home on a uh, an airplane uh, that was uh, you know already carrying the message. And then when we basically walked into the lab with that phone, the phone that the oh, message wow. was addressed to just went gzz, gzz, you have a new message. <laughs> uh, and I mean, it, it, it's a slightly absurd example, but when you think about that with people walking around uh, mm. in rural areas or you know in communities that have been uh, damaged by earthquake, um, just that Brownian motion of people um, suddenly actually makes a, a really effective way to get uh, a lot of data. And because it uh, caches uh, using the SD card on the phone, you, know, you can potentially have uh, you know gigabytes of data being cached on each device. Uh, and when we start talking about text messages, they're pretty small. Uh, and we've also actually created the uh, the best of breed open source um, short message text compressor to uh, to further leverage oh. that as well. Wow, that sounds actually useful on the train to London as well. Yes. <laughs> um, so the um, what was I going to ask? Um, Oh yes, I was going to ask about if there has been a disaster and you haven't had the foresight to actually set up the software in advance. Mm -hmm. Is there like any mechanism for getting it out to people? Yeah, um, so this was actually this was one of the first things that we thought about doing. And so, uh, in fact, in the Serval Mesh software that uh, you know people can download and try out the experimental version of Google Play, just search for Serval Mesh, uh, you'll find that it actually has a share option and uh, it can share itself via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi Direct uh, or a variety of other ways uh, to other phones. Uh, so that if only one phone in a disaster zone had it, um, basically we, you could actually spread it onto all of the phones. Mm. Um, it's sort of you know like a uh, you know a, a, a positive virus almost. Um, yeah. But of course, you know it, it's polite. It asks you for permission, of course. Um, and uh, with the mesh extenders, they will also offer the app uh, for download directly as well. So that you know, you know, it, it's really interesting because this solves what is normally a an intractable problem. I mean, a, a disaster by definition is where you know the infrastructure and local capacity um, is insufficient to meet the demand mm. uh, caused by the event, um, and suddenly we can actually deploy software uh, in a disaster zone, um, and we can actually update it. One of the uh, the first things we did on the uh, the first trial with New Zealand Red Cross, we were <laughs> very rapidly developing the software while we were actually out with them uh, in New Zealand, and it was one of these sort of just uh, aha moments. Sort of four days into the exercise, I'm just thinking. 
I've just pushed out the ninth update to our mesh software <laughs> that has been automatically downloaded and installed by all of the um, the phones on the network. Um, which is uh, was just amazing. Just hold on a moment. My my son would like some oats. Oh, okay. <laughs> Need some more oats, do you? Yes. Okay, let me get you some more oats. So while he's getting some oats, um, I'm going to have to ask him about the shoe phone. So I've heard about the shoe phone and and the uh, awesome foundation grant that he got that started all this. And I'm like, I'm just think that if I didn't ask about the shoe phone, then um, then I don't know if someone will tell me off or something. There'll be like retribution from somewhere. Um, but we'll see. And then um, so after the shoe phone. Um, I'm then going to ask about the uh, Indiegogo um, that he's got going. And what's particularly fun about Google Hangouts on Air, which I'm using to record this, is all I can do is end the broadcast. There's no pause button. So we're actually going to have to wait while he sorts the oaks out, but that's good. So um, yeah, Paul is actually in, in southern Australia, and I'm in Liverpool, um, so it's kind of, kind of quite fun. It's morning for him, but it's the middle of the night for me. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> so I've just told everyone else what I'm going to ask you next, um, sure. <laughs> which is quite funny. Um, I've got to ask you about the shoe phone because no one would let me not ask you about the shoe phone. So, <laughs> so tell me about that part of how we started and the awesome foundation and the shoe phone. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, it was quite interesting. So um, I was on the uh, the committee for a local uh, church camp, and they kind of they have, often have a, a movie kind of theme. Uh, that they tie in with the uh, the talks and sort of uh, and activities on the camp, and so this particular year they decided that they would have a um, uh, a get smart uh, kind of inspired theme, uh, and so they sort of they, you know at this meeting, I still remember they kind of like all pointed at me and said, "You're the en you're, like you're an engineer, um, make us a, a shoe phone, a cone of silence, and a, a phone box that uh, people can drop <laughs> out the bottom of," and I'm like, "Yeah, you know, actually, I I I, I think we can do that." <laughs> um, and so I just I just looked on eBay and I thought you know like surely someone's made shoe phones and, and, and is happily selling them, uh, but it turned out that no one had actually ever made a uh, you know a real working wearable shoe phone. The uh, the closest I could find was uh, uh, a basketballer who whose name I can't remember in the states um, with like size 83 million shoes uh, that were large <laughs> enough to basically just embed an entire large mobile phone into, but of course, uh, you know, when you need, you know, uh, shoes the size of a planet, you also are quite heavy, and so I believe the uh, the shoe broke uh, when he tried to uh, uh, to walk on it. <laughs> um, and so with the, the help of a local cobbler, we, uh, we modified a, a pair of shoes and uh, uh, embedded the uh, the hardware in the bottom uh, and used it with the uh, uh, the kids and uh, young adults on the uh, the camp, which was fantastic. And the, uh, I'll see if I can actually just show you here. So the, uh, the phone booth we did uh, using a 19-inch rack um, uh, with the door on it, and so oh blast! I've taken the uh, uh, the door off um, <laughs> and put it in the shed. I've got the, the telephone sign on the uh, uh, the door of my rack, um, <laughs> and the, uh, the the cone of silence. It turns out actually works just as well as the one in the TV show. Um, it is completely <laughs> impossible to hear what the other person is saying inside, but everyone outside can hear you very well. I, I suspect once I discovered that actually that the uh, you know the, the, the gags around that in the uh, the TV show were actually based on their uh, real experience of trying to use this thing. Um, uh, let me just go and defuse a minor situation between our two small people. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> Can we be nice to each other, okay? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about this. 
do that in a few minutes, okay? <laughs> okay. Oh, I think I think sorry it's, about that. it's time to us to do the last part, which I'm. Uh, so one of the things that I've been thinking about with with these interviews and really centralization is how can people get involved and, and help mm. out? And one way is obviously to find the code of any of these projects and fork them and send patches, which I'm sure you would you would you would love. Um, Absolutely. But the other way, uh, I want to hear about uh, the Red Cross and what's happening with that and the Indiegogo project that you've got on at the moment. Campaign. Sure. Yeah. So the, uh, the uh, what we're looking to do is to raise uh, about three hundred thousand dollars to uh, make the uh, which are currently a, a, a fairly uh, simplistic prototype, and to get that to the point where we can actually say here is a design that could actually be uh, uh, manufactured in a, a more serious way, uh, and get these things out into uh, uh, to people's hands. So you know, really finalising what is in those. Um, and make something uh, really interesting. So um, it would be fantastic for anyone to, uh, uh, to to have a look at that and uh, if you'd like to contribute, but also absolutely to spread the word as far and wide as you can. We, 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 you know, the more eyeballs that we can get looking at this, then uh, you know, the, the easier it is for, uh, uh, you know, for us to hit that target and, uh, and make this technology available to those who need it. And that's, that's Australian dollars, is it? Uh, uh, that's uh, US dollars, which, uh, well, yeah. it's quite funny. Three months ago, uh, they were about the same thing, and uh, <laughs> our, our Australian dollar has uh, has blessedly dropped in the meantime, which uh, uh, means it will actually be able to do even more for the uh, uh, the same amount, which is fantastic. And this, you're doing this project with the Australian Red Cross. It's like a specific version of the phone for. The... Uh, no, so it's New Zealand Red Cross that we're working with, uh, and okay. uh, Flinders University, where I'm based, uh, and then actually we have. Uh, the civil project uh, has a, a, a not-for-profit incorporated association, and it's actually that association which is uh, doing the fundraising. So, if it's funded, like where well, they'll actually manufacture some of these phones and and you and use them in a real situation, or yeah. So the idea is that we'll be able to um, you know make a, a nice design that we can get uh, some reasonable number of units manufactured, and we will get a whole bunch of those to our partners in uh, in New Zealand Red Cross. Uh, and that you know, they will you know, start looking at using those in uh, in uh, in real deployments and you know making that part of their training and um, yeah starting to uh, to be able to make use of the uh, the technology. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that's called Speak Freely on Indiegogo. I'll put the links on on the on the web. Um, great. Is there anything else you want to to mention or? Um, I think we've uh, we've covered a fair bit there, which has been uh, fabulous. I mean, certainly uh, we can uh, you know people can have a look at the uh, the source code up on GitHub, uh, and we also have a, a developer wiki that has a whole pile of the technical information about how it works and what some of our plans are, and you know how some of the, uh, the security and crypto works, because uh, I know a lot of people find that uh, quite interesting as well. Uh, so we can uh, give you the links to uh, to put up for those as well. Fantastic. Thank you, Paul. Um, so Ira and I are thinking about doing an actual podcast where we have little interviews uh, interviews with people with more, more conversation. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we might ask you to talk again at some point on that. But if, if uh, that, that would be my pleasure. Um, and we'll try and get a, a good enough audience to make that worth your while. Sure. So. Um, yep. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a fantastic project. It's really exciting seeing it like being useful in the world now. Um, immediately, it's very like very inspiring. 
Yeah, thank you, and it's and for us, it's always fabulous when people, uh, you know, take an interest and get excited about what we're doing. Because sort of, mm. you know, when you're in the middle of something, there's that sense of, well, like, you know, we're we really doing the right thing. Is this really helping people? And then you know, mm. you get a, a whole bunch of people, and like, you know, there was a fantastic, uh, you know, Reddit page uh, on one of the, the bits of media we had recently, where you know, we hit the front page of Reddit, and you kind of go like, you know, you know. We are doing something that people care about, and uh, mm. it's, uh, it's it's it is really encouraging and fantastic. Great! Have a fantastic day in Australia, and I'll leave you. Yeah. <laughs> <to remember> <laughs> no worries. You take care as well. See you. Okay. Take care. Bye.